True Crime BFF is a weekly podcast hosted by me, your True Crime BFF. Each week, I'll take you through a well-researched, deep dive into a horrific story, the kind that you just can't seem to get enough of because, let's be honest, there's something a little bit off about both of us, isn't there? Like all BFFs, we will laugh, we will cry, and we will definitely rage, but we will always make sure to honor and create awareness for the victims and their stories. Maybe by dissecting the people and events, we can start to understand the why and do better in this world. Fair warning, this podcast will be explicit and I will probably cuss a lot, but that doesn't mean I'm not committed to handling these very real people's stories with care and empathy. P.S. Make sure to subscribe, like, rate, review, and all the other podcasts things we're supposed to do, but most importantly, make sure to tell your other BFFs. Twilight Crooks was a beaming 15-year-old indigenous girl from Bowling Green, Kentucky, with dreams of attending Harvard. After receiving a mysterious call in the late hours of August 2001, she vanished and would never be seen alive again. Twilight's brutally murdered body was found 13 days later, discarded in a remote, rural area. Inexplicably, she was dressed in someone else's clothes. In a cruel and tragic coincidence, her body was discovered on September 10, 2001, exactly one day before the attacks on the World Trade Center. Decades have passed, but no one has been held responsible for murdering the 15-year-old student who had so much life ahead of her. Enough time has passed. It's time for Twilight to get the justice that she has always deserved. There is just something about Twilight Crooks' face and smile that jumped out at me from behind my laptop. I'm hours into a Google deep dive rabbit hole of horrific true crime cases, but she stopped me dead in my tracks and I had to know more. There is something so familiar and so nostalgic about her face. Twilight's case has had very, very limited coverage, which could be due to the timing of her death in relation to 9-11, or it could be that Twilight is not a white person, she's indigenous. But either way, that limited coverage is exactly why I want to share it and tell it the best that I can. Her story needs to be told. It's begging to be told. Maybe, just maybe, if we share her name and her story, especially throughout Kentucky, maybe the right person will hear it. So listen closely, because this case is so solvable, and she deserves an ending, and she deserves an answer. So let's get into it. Before we start with all the horrible stuff, let's do what we do here at True Crime BFF, and that's talk about Twilight, the person, because she was a lot more than what happened to her on the last day of her life. Right out of the gate, 
we have got to get to that amazing name. So her full given name was Jessie Marie Twilight Song Crooks. But to all who knew and loved her, she was just Twilight. I cannot tell you what I would have given in the early 2000s to be named Twilight. What a gift. We should acknowledge that Twilight was Arapaho on her mother's side, and she really embraced her indigenous heritage. It was an important part of her identity. She was proud of it. As reported by Skylar Baker Jordan in The Independent, which is linked in the show notes, she did spend time with her maternal family in New Mexico, where she really embraced the Arapaho culture and made traditional beadwork and art for her family and friends back in Kentucky. If you are deep into true crime, you know that the stats on MMIW or missing and murdered Indigenous women are staggering. And those are just the ones that we know about. I will link a source with the stats and ways that you can help in the show notes. Make sure to check that out. So MMIW and girls are finally just beginning to get the bare minimum attention they deserve, at least in the podcasting community. But what I have not seen is a huge uptick in their cases actually being solved. I don't see law enforcement really coming to the table for these victims, really, unless their hand is kind of forced. I feel like we have got to just demand that MMIW get the attention and resources that they deserve. But the only way that that's going to happen is if broadcast media, social media, print, everybody has got to shout it from the rooftops that these women, that these girls, that these people matter. Let's get back to Twilight in particular. Let's get back to saying her name. So Twilight was born on October 22nd, 1985 to her mother, Becky Maldonado, who is reported to be Arapaho, and her father, Bob Crooks, in Santa Fe, New Mexico. There is virtually no information out there about Twilight's early life, her mom's side of the family, and we don't know when her parents divorced or exactly how they ended up in Kentucky. But at the time our story takes place, in 2001, Twilight lived in Warren County or Bowling Green, Kentucky, with her family on Larman Mill Road. That would be the last place that she was seen alive. The family consisted of her dad, Bob, her stepmom, Linda, and a brother, Isaac Crooks. She also had three step-siblings that I would assume were from her stepmom Linda's first marriage. It's hard to say if any or all of the kids lived in the house there with Twilight at the time, but it's definitely safe to say she had a large family there in Bowling Green, as well as her maternal side of the family out west. 
where Twilight lived there in Plano, Warren County, Bowling Green, whatever you want to call it, is a very small rural community. The 2020 census reported a population of about 1,200 people. And the other census stat that kind of blew my mind too was that it is 94% white, 3% black, and other races are so minute there's no point in even me telling you. And sadly, in the 2020 census, there were 0% Native American or Indigenous residents listed. When I look at houses on Larman Mill Road, they are very far apart. We're talking lots of wide open spaces and land. So yeah, this is very much small town Kentucky for sure. It was the tail end of summer before Twilight was set to start back at Greenwood High School for her junior year. She had tons of friends and was involved in her church youth group. August 28th was spent just hanging out with friends, listening to music, and doing whatever it was we did before smartphones and 24-7 screens. So I looked up what music was popular in August 2001, just to give you an idea of how many years ago this was. Imagine songs like Survivor by Destiny's Child, and that is pre-Beyonce solo career. Or do you remember, um, I gotta try not to sing it, Hanging on a Moment by Lifehouse? I didn't remember it by name, but as soon as you hear it, you'll know what I mean. But if I had to guess, and this is a huge guess, by looking at the two to three pictures that are available of her, I would take Twilight for more of a like a Weezer Smashing Pumpkins fan, maybe with a side of some boy bands as a guilty pleasure, perhaps. I would love to know what music her and her friends were listening to that day. Twilight, she just looks like you would instantly connect with her, the instantly a best friend type, like this cool girl whose parents one time got them something from the Delia's catalog and even though it was her most favorite sweater, she would absolutely let you borrow it. In the brief time Twilight was on this earth, she was a beloved friend to many people. She was energetic, outgoing, athletic, particularly good at soccer and swimming. And coming from someone who is 5'1", to me, Twilight is on the taller side, for her age especially. She was 5'6 and a lean 100 pounds. Twilight had a bazillion watt smile. It shined through even behind a mouth full of braces. She was beautiful with long, dark hair and tan skin. She was a straight A student, just shy of her 16th birthday. So sadly, she never got to learn how to drive. Bobby Crooks, Twilight's dad, commented to the press that she had the whole world open to her. And it's true. She had big dreams and big plans for her life. She wanted to attend Harvard, following in her dad's footsteps, who also went there. All of that was taken away from her. So coming up next, 
let's get into exactly what we know that went down, presumably the last night of her young life. The night she vanished, it was a routine evening at home. There was zero indication that it would be any different than any other night. The family was just hanging out at home. Twilight had always been creative, loving, and close with her family, and this night was no different. Sitting down on her stepmom's lap, she told her, I love you, and handed her a picture she had just drawn. It was of a twilight sky with purple stars and a smiling moon. I can't quite imagine how valuable that picture is to her parents. As Tuesday, August 28th, 2001 was winding down, Twilight's parents, Bob and her stepmom, Linda, headed off to bed. It was about 10 p.m. when everyone went to their respective rooms. Twilight's dad, kissed her goodnight. At approximately 10.50 p.m., Bob and Linda heard the family home phone ring because, remember, we are in landline times. And this probably wasn't that unusual. Twilight was a busy, popular 15-year-old student. And remember, it was still summer break. Twilight answered the phone and her parents drifted back into sleep. It is widely reported that about 10 minutes after the phone rang, she quietly walked out of her home on Lamont Hill Road, perhaps to meet whoever was behind that call. When Bob and Linda woke up on August 29th, 2001, their daughter was gone. When the crooks woke up and saw that Twilight was gone, they immediately called the police at 6 a.m. to report her missing. The crooks told law enforcement that they didn't know anything. She didn't have any plans or permission to leave. They told them about the phone call late the night before, and they did report that they heard the door open at around 11 p.m., but that they didn't know their daughter was actually going somewhere. She didn't ask them if she could go anywhere, and it was 11 p.m. on a Tuesday. I doubt her parents would have let her. There is very, very little about the time frame of when she was missing, so it's hard to say if police took it seriously or if it was the True crime, tale as old as time thing where the cops say, well, she must have run off with her boyfriend or she's just blowing off some steam. She'll be back. I could only find one article in the Bowling Green Daily News that reported that she was missing and there was a search underway. Now, the phone call made to the Crooks' house that night that Twilight vanished, that was later traced to the one nearby thing in Plano and that's the Plano Country Store, which is, from what I can tell, just like a little mini-mart at most, maybe a gas station. More than a week passed. There was nothing, no clues, no answers. The only thing anyone could say for sure was that someone called Twilight that night from the Plano Country Store. 
Can you imagine being Twilight's best friend or even just a classmate? This is an incredibly small town. Everybody knows everybody. Think about what it would feel like to go back to classes at Greenwood High School when your friend, your classmate, was just missing. This was supposed to be Twilight's junior year when she would finally get a driver's license and experience that freedom. Instead, the days ticked by and ticked by until 13 had passed. Twilight's friends, family, and the Bowling Green area were all holding out hope as they waited for 13 agonizing days without any idea where she was. But that was all about to change. On September 10th, 2001, a man out walking his dog brought a brutal conclusion to the mystery of where Twilight was, but the discovery left many, many more questions than answers. The man and his dog were hiking off a remote and isolated trail on Matlock Old Union Church Road at about 4 p.m. As they so often do, The man's dog caught something in the air and relentlessly searched until he found it. The scene that the dog walker found was gruesome. 15-year-old Twilight Crooks lay right on the edge of a wooded area just off the path. Her body was described by Sheriff Castle as skeletal. Although some tissue remained, her body was badly decomposed due to the weather and animal activity. It had been just shy of two weeks, but it was the end of summer. She would be positively identified by forensic anthropologist Dr. Emily Craig using dental and medical records. In what appeared to be a poor effort to conceal her, she was only minimally covered by some brush and leaves that were laid on top of her body. She was fully clothed at the time she was found but she was not wearing any shoes. This is a super remote area. It is out there. It's also approximately five miles from the Crooks' home. The only way to get to it by car is via a gravel access road. Google Earth and see for yourself. Tell me you think that there is any way someone from out of town found this place. Imagine how dark it would have been at night. Although they have given painfully limited details about the scene in general, the sheriff says that they believe she was killed elsewhere and that her body was discarded at this location off Matlock Old Union Church Road. Remember, in a tragic coincidence, Twilight's body was discovered on September 10th, 2001. The very next day was 9-11. The day after Twilight's remains were found, hundreds of miles away from Ground Zero, 
The shock waves of what happened reached even small rural areas and their police departments. There was a reverberating reaction, shock, and emotional toll that fell across the entire country. The world was now a new place with a new set of rules. And it's safe to say that reporting on 9-11 was consuming all of local, regional, national, and world news, no matter where you lived. Investigators in Warren County still seem to work diligently to put the pieces of the case together, but they were very tight-lipped with any information, and that is still to this day. More than 20 years later, we do not know what Twilight's cause of death was. We do not know if a sexual assault took place or if she was even tested for that. They have released close to zero information beyond what we will go over next. One of the most interesting and puzzling pieces in Twilight's case was the top she was wearing when she was found. It was an Edmondson County High School jersey size extra large bearing the number 10. But remember, Twilight went to Greenwood High. No one in her family or large friend group had ever seen this jersey. It meant nothing to them. Everyone said it did not belong to her. And this is the like the type of clothing that you would remember. The numbers one zero on the jersey are really large. So let's talk about Edmondson County High School in relation to the scene and in relation to Twilight. According to good old Googs, the distance between Greenwood High, where Twilight went, and Edmondson County High School is about 26 miles or 28 minutes by car. The distance between Edmondson County High School and where Twilight's remains were so crudely dumped, that's about 34 miles or 39 minutes. Depending on where you live in the country, that might seem like a fair amount of distance, but to people who live in this part of Kentucky or any rural area, that's nothing. 30 minutes is probably the bare minimum you have to drive to get damn near anywhere. Okay, so this number 10 jersey, Warren County authorities really dug into the origins of it, as they should, and here's what we get. They do, in fact, know who that number 10 player slash student, whoever, from Edmondson County was. Supposedly, once it was no longer needed, the kid or his family, I'm assuming it's a boy, but who knows, then donated the jersey back to the school. From there, it ended up as a donation at a local Goodwill. Now, staff at the Goodwill somehow do remember seeing the jersey in the store, but no one knows or no one could remember who, if anyone, bought it. Investigators clearly state that that person that originally owned the jersey, that person is not a suspect and they have been cleared. Oh my gosh, you guys, I have gone into the depths of Reddit, local news, and 
every comment on every Facebook post that I can find about Twilight. I've read them all. No one ever says who that jersey belonged to. And I am definitely not saying that they should at all. Don't We don't need to like dox anybody. This person has been fully excluded as a suspect. Also, it's good to know, you should know that that jersey was already about three years old. So it does seem like there was definitely enough time for the shirt to make its way through all the hands that we went through, from the student to the school to Goodwill. But I, I mean, you guys, this person lives here. Who else would buy a shirt at this Goodwill that didn't go there to that school or have a connection or live nearby, have a loved one there? I just, I don't know. I can't stop thinking about it. I wish that this could be tied up just a little bit cleaner, more information, but that's all we get. I should also make it crystal clear that I am not saying that whoever owned the shirt killed Twilight or that that person even knows the identity of her murderer, but I feel like it's not too far of a leap to say that that person that owned that shirt very well may be connected to the killer and not even know it. There has got to be more to the shirt. Or maybe I'm just spinning out so bad because I want to know how she ended up dead in a field wearing it. And I really hope answers come. After the shirt evidence, tips and rumors would trickle into the police over the next several years, but very little in the way of actually helping to solve the case seems to have come in. None that I know about, of course. When Twilight's Greenwood High School class graduated in June of 2002, Bobby Crooks and her stepmom, Linda, both attended watching their daughter's friends and classmates as they transitioned on to the next chapter of their life. Meanwhile, Twilight's murdered body still lay in the state medical examiner's office nearly two years after her murder. Deputy Coroner Dwayne Lawrence told the Bowling Green Daily News that it, quote, takes time for things to get situated in a situation like this, end quote. Bobby Crooks told the Bowling Green Daily News that they went to the graduation as a way to carry on for her, and they said that they do that for any event that they think she would have been a part of. He said, quote, I felt like it was our way of having her here and to never let her die. That's probably what we'll keep doing for the rest of our lives, end quote. Finally, on December 2nd, 2002, a graveside memorial was able to be held at the Bowling Green Gardens. By this point in time, Twilight would have already been in college, maybe even Harvard, but we'll never get the chance to know. I so wish that I had more press or news updates for you throughout the years since that memorial in 2002, but I just don't. 
But before we get to the more recent updates, I just, I want to talk a little bit about the press coverage because I want somebody to make it make sense to me. So one thing I see over and over in the little news coverage that there is available on the case is that she, quote, walked out into the night barefoot. And I understand no shoes were found with or near her remains, but I don't know how that definitively proves that she walked out barefoot. I'm sure there are people closer to the case that know something I don't, but it seems like such a broad guess to make. I don't know, but I know this. What gets me even more than the barefoot thing is the way everyone states it as fact that she walked out of the house on her own free will. But I think, how do we know that? Don't get me wrong. It's certainly like a very logical assumption, but how do we know? We know the parents hear the phone ring and a few minutes later they hear the door open and that's it. But so many crucial details are missing. I have so many questions. For instance, which door? The front door? The back door? Were the doors locked? Was there signs of a break-in? Was it typical for her to just randomly step outside at 11 p.m. on a Tuesday? Was the house examined and dusted for prints on the windows and the doors? Who else was home that night? How do we know that someone didn't come in the house that night and take her? Look, I'm not a journalist. I'm not an investigator. I'm not anything. But look at the case of Jacqueline DeWallaby that we covered in episode one. It is possible for predators to sneak into a home and quietly take a child. Again, of course, I'm sure there are logical explanations to all these things. I'm sure there's a reason why it is repeated over and over in every report that she willingly walked out of the house barefoot that night. I just wish I knew what those details were. So, sadly, following what should have been Twilight's high school graduation, the case seemed to grow colder and colder as each year continued to pass without any resolution. It wouldn't be until a 2019 local news segment aired that the search to find Twilight's killer finally saw some traction. Let's fast forward all the way to 2019 when WNKY-TV ran a very brief segment titled 17 Years and Counting, Still No Answers in the Murder of Twilight Crooks. Bobby and Linda even sat down for an interview, and that video, all of it will be linked in the show notes. In this interview, they implored the community to come forward with any information. And it seemed to have worked. Following that WNKY segment, several people did contact the police with tips and information. And based on that new information, 
a search warrant was executed in 2021. So that's recent, you guys. Of course, they didn't say where the search was performed, nor did they say who owned the property or even exactly what they were looking for. They indicated that the location was extensive, covering a large area, suggesting that it probably wasn't within a residence. Given the substantial time that had elapsed since the murder and what seemed to be a vast search area, Warren County sought the FBI's help in gathering and analyzing any potential evidence. The FBI fortunately agreed to assist, which is amazing. Sheriff Brett Hightower of Warren County also officially affirmed that they have always known Twilight's cause of death. They are still choosing to not disclose it to the public, which drives me nuts. Of course, I understand why they're not. Now, that's not to say that I agree with it, but I understand. I also commend Sheriff Hightower for demonstrating what seems to be a genuine commitment to resolving a now decades-old cold case. Let me just read you a portion of what Hightower announced on a pre-recorded video that was released to the press in 2021. He says, quote, with the recent assistance of the FBI's forensic team and newer technology, we are hopeful that we will be able to identify the DNA of anyone associated with the death or disposal of Twilight Crooks's body. As of late, the physical evidence has been re-examined and submitted to the FBI's laboratory for analysis. In addition, recent leads received have been helpful. As we prepare this case for prosecution, any additional help will further substantiate the physical evidence obtained. If you have any knowledge on the case, now is the time to come forward. If you believe you may have seen or heard anything pertaining to this case, you need to contact the Warren County Sheriff's Office immediately, end quote. So did you guys hear that? He said, as we prepare for prosecution, I got so excited when I heard that statement, but Sheriff Hightower made that in 2021. The next press I could find on the case wasn't until January 10th of 2023 in The Independent. Please make sure you check that link out. It's a great article. And it was reported by Skylar Baker Jordan. It said in that article there, quote, they are still waiting for the results. Labs across the country are backlogged with the number of such submissions they receive from authorities. Sheriff Hightower hopes they will receive the results in the next 99 days, end quote. Well, it's been many more than 99 days, and there has been no movement or announcements made in the case. I want to see that change. It's clear to me that the Warren County Sheriff's Office does care about solving Twilight's case. They've demonstrated that in recent years by pouring time and resources into finding justice for her, but they need your help.
You guys, I believe with every fiber of my being that at a bare minimum, at least one person in the Bowling Green area knows exactly what happened to Twilight. Even if they didn't kill her, someone in that small community knows who did. I have a feeling there is someone out there praying to God that their horrible deed just slips into obscurity. They may finally be starting to feel secure that there hasn't been any press coverage in nearly a year. Maybe they're banking on the fact that no one is saying her name. With every news article or social media story about forensics, MMIW, or genetic genealogy, I hope his heart stops with sheer panic and worry that he may finally get caught. This person, this killer, they want to be the one that got away with it. They might even think they have gotten away with it. This case could have answers, so I am begging you to make that happen. Share Twilight Crooks' story, and I don't just mean this podcast. Share her picture on social media, or even better, one of the few news pieces that are linked in the show notes. If we keep talking about her, if we keep saying her name, I truly believe that Jessie Marie Twilight Song Crooks Killer could be found. Somebody out there wants you to forget her name, but we cannot let that happen. Anyone with information on the murder of Twilight Crooks should call the Warren County Sheriff's Office at 270-842-1633. I understand that it could be very scary to do, but you can also leave a completely anonymous tip on their website at warrencountykysheriff.com. If people start talking, talking like they did after that 2019 news segment aired, Twilight's story could have an ending. We did it. If you like today's show, make sure to follow, rate, review, share all the things. As your true crime BFF, I am practically begging you. And if you didn't like today's episode, give me another chance. I'm brand new at this. If you have a case you would like to hear covered, you can leave it in a review. That's my sneaky way of getting you to leave me a review. For real though, I'm looking forward to hearing what everyone has to say. Make sure to stick around for a super brief what-if corner. You'll see what I mean. Bye. Welcome to the What If Corner. The What If Corner is a way that we can end episodes on a less depressing note. I am just going to say whatever comes to mind, whatever I imagine that our victim would be like now in the present day if they were still alive. This is all absolute fantasy. I just want to imagine who they could have been. None of this is real.
Okay, Twilight, Twilight Crux. So here's what I see. Twilight graduates high school in 2002, and she shocks everybody by choosing the University of Michigan over Harvard and all the other prestigious acceptances. I mean, she got into every school she applied to. There was just something about Michigan's program that captured her imagination. So by choosing the University of Michigan, Twilight was able to have these unique research opportunities that aligned with her interests. She lived and studied ethnobotany in Costa Rica and Belize, and it was a magical time in her life. After three hard but adventurous years, her outstanding grades earned her a full scholarship to Harvard, where she spent her final undergrad year. In 2006, her proud family watched her graduate from Harvard, no less, an accomplishment notable enough to earn a mention in the Bowling Green Daily newspaper. So next, I see her heading to Cornell for a super tough graduate program that combined her love of ethnobotany and Native American studies. These were not an easy few years, and she was such a social creature. By this point in her life, in her mid-20s, she had made lifelong friends across the globe. So she loved the program, but as a full-blown globe-trotting adult with the world at her fingertips, Twilight persisted, continuing to follow her curiosity, always choosing her own path. And that leads her back to her roots in New Mexico, and she gets a job at a neuropharmaceutical company. So she's making that money. You guys, she had already accomplished so much at the start of her life. And when she settled down in New Mexico, even though she had this fancy pants job, she was once again able to really center and focus on her art. She even started playing in an all-women's adult soccer league. Even as trends came and went, she always stayed herself. She drives a 10-year-old Volkswagen Jetta that she bought from a friend who was moving out of the country. She still has her trademark million-watt smile and her long, dark hair. If Twilight were alive today, she would be about 37 years old. And who knows what she could have done. I am so sorry that we didn't get to have her in this world to see her evolution, or to see the person she was still becoming. <laughs>